Paul is praying that God would give us strength according to the limitless and boundless riches of his glory. God never comes up short when answering our prayer for strength. He never needs to look to anyone else and say, hey, one of my children are in need. Do you mind spotting me some strength so I can help them? His power and his glory are infinite. And it is in proportion to that infinite glory that he meets our needs. Paul is crying out to God, I pray that they would get it. I pray that they would understand who they are dealing with and the unsearchable riches of your glory. If they could just see who they are in Christ and what power is available to them. I'm going to be talking about experiencing the fullness of God. Experiencing the fullness of God. Our main text today is an incredibly powerful prayer that the Apostle Paul prays that literally stops us in our tracks. It's found in the third chapter of Ephesians, and Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus to tell them about the incredible inheritance we have received in Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul lays out some incredibly rich doctrine, and from chapter 3, verse 14 through the rest of Ephesians, he exhorts us to live by these great doctrines. And sandwiched right in between these, the fundamental doctrinal teachings and his exhortations for us to live by them, Paul breaks out in prayer to God. And the reason for Paul's prayer is because the depth of what he just taught is so incredibly powerful that he knows if they could just grasp it, they would unlock a life of unlimited power and resources. If they could just understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ— that they would be filled completely with the fullness of God. This is why I believe so strongly in us regular old Christians knowing the doctrines of our faith. We live in a culture where doctrine isn't tolerated much, and even in the church. It's treated as boring information that isn't really practical and as such is deemed to be ineffective for regular Christians. Few things offend me as much as when preachers set aside doctrine as stuffy and outdated only to focus on all the exciting parts of the Bible that preach well or make great motivational quotes. This only frustrates and discourages believers because they hear about all the amazing things that God wants to do with them, but they lack the power because it is in the deep truths of doctrine that we find the key that turns the engine on. Let me just encourage you before we jump into our text. Every single believer has received the Holy Spirit who is the illuminator of Scripture. He turns foolish people into wise people because by his enlightenment, believers have a superpower to understand God's Word. Have you ever been taught that? Most Christians I talk to walk around with the belief that, oh, I'm not good with this theology stuff. That's the wonderful part of it. We can be as we are, and yet by the Holy Spirit, we have understanding of mysteries that the most brilliant minds couldn't begin to grasp. I remember about a decade ago I was preaching what seemed to be a pretty boring sermon in my own estimation about the circumcision in the Old Testament. And I'll never forget someone in the church coming up to me after service crying and saying, this was the best message I've ever heard. It changed my life. I looked at her with complete disbelief because I just dragged the entire congregation through a brutal hour-long lesson on circumcision. But the Holy Spirit illuminated to her profound truths that I had no intention or no idea of. This is not to say we shouldn't be diligent to improve our study skills to avoid interpreting the Bible out of context. 
but we can be confident that when we, and by we, I mean every single believer, study the Bible, the Holy Spirit is right there with you to illuminate you. His word is alive. 1 John 2.27 says, As for you, the anointing, which is a word used for the Holy Spirit, which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. It says that the anointing teaches you all things. One of my all-time heroes is Martin Luther, because amongst everything that he did, one of the greatest ways that God used him was to return the scripture back to the people. He lived in a time where there was only one church, the Catholic Church. There weren't any other options. The Pope and the Roman Catholic Church were the final authority on Scripture, which means they were the sole interpreters of Scripture. They even chained the Bible to the pulpits to keep it out of the hands of the people. The enemy had masterfully woven himself into the church and restricted everyone's access to the source of all the power, his word. Luther knew that it could be a complete calamity for lay people to have the scriptures because of the possibility of bad interpretation, but he knew it would be worth it because he knew the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. Another point I need to make before we get into this text is that the depth of your worship and the depth of your prayer life is commensurate to your depth and understanding of theology and doctrine. How much sweeter is his grace when we can understand the doctrine of total depravity? How much more precious is Christ's blood when we understand the doctrine of atonement? So when we lift our voices and our hands to God in prayer, we know exactly how undeserving we are and how gracious he is, and our hearts are filled with an overwhelming gratitude. We cannot and should not treat the Bible as a book of inspirational quotes because it is the inspired word of God. With all that said, we find Paul here crying out to God on behalf of the church at Ephesus and all believers. And the basic thrust of his prayer is that we would get it, that we would understand how rich the doctrine is that he just taught through the first three chapters. Look with me at our main text in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we won't get very far on this today, but I thought it's important to give some background before we work our way through this text. Look at verse 14 again to start. He says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. For what reason? He's saying because of all the rich doctrine that he just laid out in chapter 2. And here's what those doctrines are. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says Christ made us spiritually alive in him. 
In chapter 2, verse 10, he says that we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, designed and created for good works, which he has prepared for us before time began. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, we are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are citizens of the household of God. And in verse 20 through 22 of chapter 2, he says, we are being built together on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and of Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone, to be the literal dwelling place of God. He says, for this reason, that you are the dwelling place of the almighty God, he prays that our unlimited energy and power from him would be manifested. Paul prays for the Ephesians to use the power that their great status in Christ provides and use it in all of its fullness. So Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. The word before in the Greek means facing. He says, for all of these unimaginable truths he just laid out, I face the Father in prayer. How rich is that? When we come to God in prayer, we are facing or face to face with the Father. Notice he uses the word Father in his prayer. He is approaching God with boldness and no trepidation because he is a loving and gentle and caring Father that is waiting in great anticipation for us to come to him. I've said this before, but God is not getting sick of you. He is moved with great compassion and love for us, so much so that he waits with joy for every single time that we come to him. I ask you to look deep into your prayer life and correct any misconceptions you may have about God our Father. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is no reason to come in timidity because he himself has given us full access. You know, my earthly father always reminds me of this beautiful truth because every time we talk about God, he looks with tears in his eyes and says, he loves that. He loves when we face him. He loves when we come to him face to face and see our relationship to him with correct understanding of who he is and that he is our loving father. Look at our text again. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, when he says from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, he isn't saying that God is the universal father of all creation, because we know very clearly from scripture that those who do not believe in him, their father is the devil. So what he's saying is, Every saint in all ages, whether they are now in heaven or still on earth, are one body, which all share the same Father. Continue on to verse 16, where we see Paul's first and central prayer to God for those who are in the family of God. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. He's praying that we would be strengthened with power in the inner man. Now watch this according to the riches of his glory. The words according to are key here. They can be understood better as in proportion to. For example, if you were a millionaire and I was struggling to pay my electric bill and, I asked, and you asked me how much I needed to pay that bill and I said $225 and you gave me $225, you would have given it to me out of your riches. But if I told you I needed $225 and you gave me a check for $50,000, you would be given me according to or in proportion of your riches. You see the difference? 
Think about it. Paul is praying that God would give us strength according to the limitless and boundless riches of his glory. God never comes up short when answering our prayer for strength. He never needs to look to anyone else and say, hey, one of my children are in need. Do you mind spotting me some strength so I can help them? His power and his glory are infinite, and it is in proportion to that infinite glory that he meets our needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's very hard for us to comprehend and truly value spiritual riches over earthly riches because we can't necessarily see them. And the world doesn't desire spiritual riches. Only believers do. So what are the riches of his glory? This doesn't just mean his grace and his mercy. It means all that constitutes God, all the attributes of God in full measure. That is the glory of God. Now, Paul isn't saying that God would grant us riches. He's saying that he would grant us strength according to the riches of his glory. He has spent the first few chapters telling us about the riches of his glory. In chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians, he says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, We were chosen before the foundation of the world. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, We've received the redemption and forgiveness of sins. In chapter 1, verse 9, it says he's made known to us the mystery of his will. In chapter 1, verse 11, it says he's given us an inheritance. And he goes on and on about the riches of glory that we have received in Christ. Paul is saying, I pray that in proportion to the fullness of all that God is, in full power, and all that he has already given us, that he would grant you to be strengthened. An even better understanding is that God would grant us the strength that we already possess because we are in his family, and all that he is has become ours through his grace. Let me just say, there is no reason for Christians to walk around weak, impotent, apathetic, and feeble because we are strengthened according to the infinite depths of all that God is. Paul is crying out to God, I pray that they would get it. I pray that they would understand who they are dealing with and the unsearchable riches of your glory. If they could just see who they are in Christ and what power is available to them. That's why in chapters one through three are heavy doctrine. And then Paul stops to pray that we would understand this great strength that is supplied by God. Because after this prayer, and through the rest of Ephesians, it's all about how to live for God practically. Far too often we try to do all the things that Christians do without first bowing our knees to God and praying that he would strengthen us to live for him. I believe that there is a freedom in Christ to serve him completely. And what I mean by that is serving the Lord should never exhaust us, but it should be the very thing that energizes us because it's supernatural. It's not our own strength. How much more glory will God get when the things you do for him are so beyond your ability that when you and everyone around you sees it, the only choice they have is to recognize the hand of the living God at work. It takes all the pressure off of us. We don't have to muster up the energy to do great things for him. We simply with Paul must bow our knee and pray to the father who gives us the ability according to the proportion of his ability. 
It's amazing to me that the Bible almost goes out of its way to tarnish the characters and reputations of every key person in it, as if God is saying, look what I can do through the weakest of people. There isn't a single person in the Bible except for Jesus who did anything great that was already great in themselves. In fact, the opposite was true. Moses was a stuttering murderer. David was an adulterous murderer. The disciples were doubting and average-minded individuals. Paul was a Christian killer. And the list goes on and on. Now let's finish up verse 16 of chapter 3 for today. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Only God can touch and heal and strengthen the inner man. And it is from the inner man that we walk in his fullness. It is from the inner man that we can answer the call of God on our lives and carry out the work of that calling. And you and I can't do the works of God in the outer man without completely depleting and exhausting ourselves. By the way, if you are a believer, you have been called to do something for him. As I read earlier in chapter 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There isn't some special class of Christian that has this divine power and strength, but it's the mark of a believer that has submitted their life to his word and to the spirit. But just like our physical bodies requiring training to be made stronger, so the believer must exercise walking in the spirit and learning God's word so that the wonderful truths of God's greatness would overcome our limited understanding of him. So we see that after Paul tells us about the great riches that we have in Christ, he prays that we would be strengthened in the inner man in proportion to the great riches of his glory. Now, most people jump down to the really exciting verse in this text. In verse 20, where it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. And this is exciting. But if we don't get verses 17 through 19 right, we can never experience verse 20. Look at the first two words of verse 17. It says, so that. This is the Greek word hina, and it introduces what is called a purpose clause in the Greek. In other words, the purpose of us being strengthened in the inner man according to the riches of his glory is for the following reasons that he outlines in the next few verses. Another way to understand it is that the next few things that Paul goes over are the stepping stones that build upon each other to get us to exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. The Hina Clause means that until the conditions of verses 17 through 19 are met, God's working in us is limited. But when they are met, His working in us is unlimited. I'm going to leave it there for now, but in the next podcast, we will look at what steps need to be taken to get to a life that is far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. I look forward to unpacking these rich truths next time.